0: Never left it on the ground I'm not coming down I wanna go higher, higher, higher than that Hey, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I am so glad that you're here. Hey, you know what else you need to know about? A badass masterclass that I just launched. Check the link. I'm not coming down. So, in this episode, my fairy pod mother, Jen Eads, who is a consultant that helps people launch their podcast and is literally my fairy pod mother, interviews me. And we have a rich conversation about creativity and vulnerability and uncertainty and it was super fun and I can't wait for you to hear it. Many of the things we talk about are in the book that I'm waiting on the editor to return back to me. So these are topics near and dear to my heart. Here we go. And I'm not coming down
1: Rebecca, why are we so hell-bent on keeping our creativity hidden in professional settings?
0: Oh, Jen, you know this question just lights me on fire. That's why we started with that one. That's why we started with that. There's a couple of reasons, but if we want to go back to root cause, our education did very little to reward our creativity. Our education is based on the factory model of work. And that says, sit down, keep your eyes on your own paper. Helping is cheating. Individual achievement is king. And creativity comes out of collaboration. It comes out of different spaces from our heart and our brain and our soul. And school is more memorization. It's gaining knowledge with no real context of how to use it in the real world. It's more memorization, which isn't creative at all. No, now that you say that and I look back and I think
1: about any collaboration or anything I did in school, it was either playing sports or playing in bands. Like that was how I learned about collaboration. I don't think that was anything that was ever taught except for the occasional group project. And that was always a disaster because, you know, somebody ends up doing all the
0: work. There's the one person.
1: <laughs> was because that you?
0: Were you that person? Sometimes. And then sometimes I just said to hell with it. This is ridiculous. Right? <laughs> yeah. And and that's the thing is we, we got feedback that said we need to do more group pop projects because work leaders said we need people educated on how to work in groups because that's how work gets done in the mm-hmm. workplace. So... The education system just threw in group projects, but nobody told anybody how to work in a group. And so it reinforced why working in a group is bad and wrong because it was awful. Oh, yeah. And the reason we have school the way that we have school today is because back in the 1900s, when we went from being farm to factory, we had this huge productivity uptick which was a boom for our economies. Right. And, but what we lost was the human connection of our work. Because when we were in, we're in agricultural society, you had to work together or you died. Yeah. Like the consequences were pretty great. And then you move to the factory model and the consequences weren't even seen, felt, or known about the human connection. You went in, you did your piece of the work. You didn't even really know how it impacted the other pieces. And you really didn't know how it impacted other humans other than your own paycheck or what you saw the boss growing in their business, right? It was all financial. There was very little part of what what you and I call story. There was very little about our individual contribution, and so when the factory model worked really well from an economic standpoint, we said, "We got to get kids through school faster because we need more factory workers." Like this is literally why our school is the way it is today. When you look it up and research it, you're like, "This is asinine. but it's been <laughs> but it's been that way for so long, nobody questions it anymore. So oh, sure. So when the factory model worked, we we switched school to the factory. Prior to that, schools were, the one-room classroom where, where humans of various ages got together and had conversations to learn about things that matter to their village or where they lived. It was religion. It was um, what we would call today shop and home ec classes. It was reading. It was writing. But it all had context to the human-to-human human connection. So when we moved school to the factory model of school, then it was individual pieces and parts, math, science, English, in your individual world. And the reason that we did the individual world in the factory is it's easier to control, measure, and optimize when you have various jobs and departments. When you pull it all apart, you can control it better, with the idea being then you put it back together with greater degree of efficiency, which gave you higher profit. So we took the same model and put humans through it, to get people through their education faster so they could get to work in the factory. And so you took away the human connection, you took away the creativity so you could control, measure, and optimize. And I'm a huge fan of business models, control, measure, and optimize. You need a good P and L you need systems and you need processes, but we have abandoned our human needs, which are personal, emotional, and social. And all of our creativity and all of our unique gifts and talents come from our human, personal, emotional, and social. But we now are trying to control, measure, and optimize our own human needs. And it's a debacle. How do we bring that creativity
1: back into work? Because I've seen this in some of my clients they get stuck when we're in kind of the early phases of the podcast. I'm like, you got to bring your experience and your point of view into this or none of this matters. They can go out and they can listen to somebody else. And it is such a hard thing for people sometimes to really just expose that piece of themselves and and share that, like share what really lights them up as opposed to if I can just get them to remove the stick from their butt their podcast is going to be 500 times better.
0: Yeah. I experienced the same thing, but we have rarely been rewarded or invited to share our uniqueness. We've been invited to share our productivity. (laughs) We've been invited to share our results, but very rarely since we were five years old has someone said to us, hey, come over here. I want you to be you. How
1: does that work? So, gosh, we could do a whole thing just on what you do with Rise and Thrive. But how do you invite that creative
0: piece into that program? It's really interesting. Same experience that you have with the podcast. When I first asked the questions, hey, let's talk about your unique gifts, talents, and abilities. Really smart people who have done amazing things look at me and give me the long pause, the deep <laughs> breath, and then they just slow blink for a while. Like, what do you oh, sure. mean unique gifts, talents, and abilities? And many will say, I don't think I have any. Now, these are vice presidents and CEOs of companies and entrepreneurs and and. Badasses, like people who have done amazing work. Yeah, and it's always fascinating where you, where you you're just looking at them. Like the fact that you don't know them or believe in them is sad. It Really is. And and then and then the next step is I say, okay, if you did know what they were, what the, would they be? Because that just triggers this weird part of your brain that says she's once an answer, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say, well. I'm a good mom. I'm like, well, that's a role that you play. You should keep doing that. What else? <laughs> and they'll say, I'm a good you know, either marketer or accountant or whatever it, it is that they do for the job. And I say, okay, yep, that's another role that you play. You should keep doing that. What else? And you just kind of peel the layers of expectation that have been put on them for their whole lives. You just keep peeling that onion, you, you should keep peeling it back. And then you start to get to things like, I'm really good at keeping confidences, or I'm really good at solving difficult problems that have a lot of intricacies, or I'm really good at building. You finally start to get to the heart of the matter. And then it's interesting to watch their faces because when they get reminded of who they really are, there's this new freedom. That comes from that. So once I help them identify what their unique gifts, talents, and abilities are and really hold them inspired and accountable to using them, things start to shift and change. And then they start to recognize the way that they can take their role and make it far more enjoyable and far more inspiring and better by just being more intentional about aligning their work to who they are and kind of delegating out some of the other stuff or just reframing the way that they see their work. It's fascinating. Yeah,
1: it is. No wonder you love your job. I love
0: my job. <laughs> I do love my job. I got a text this morning from from Wendy No from Dove Covery House for Women, which I know you know as well. She's a common friend yeah. of ours. And when we first started working together a year ago, she was going through a bit of that. She had been at Dove and was getting good results, but she was feeling the edges of burnout coming on. And when we peeled back what she's great at, she had responded to the needs of the business in a way that she was doing most of the work that she doesn't love because it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, There's other people that can do that work that they're better suited for to free you up to do the things that you are uniquely great at. And we just started shifting the work in that way. And I got a text from her this morning, the success that she has gotten in the last even three months from really honing in on her gifts and talents is now opened up millions of dollars in fundraising for the organization millions of dollars that's incredible it has taken her to a place where she's going to get the opportunity to do national exposure for the model that they have at dove house she's going to be teaching and training on the model i mean i could go on and on and on just by making that shift into doing what she's uniquely great at have you always been able to do that in your own work I realized what happens when you don't. And it was through that discomfort and pain that I, I, I the light bulb went off for me. And I said, mm-hmm. if I'm feeling this shift, there's got to be thousands of other women that, or people, not just women, but people that are too. And I got really intentional about it for me because my unique gifts and talents, the three that I talk about mostly, I'm sometimes annoyingly positive. So I can I can take any situation from my divorce to business challenges to traffic and just say to myself, "Okay, what's what's something good I can take out of this? Like I can just do that. It's just how Mm -hmm. I'm wired. The second thing I'm really good at is. I'm a builder, so I can take pieces and parts and build business and it, it helps me in coaching and consulting. Um, it, it, there's, there's several others, but let's just talk about those two. So
1: hang on. I want to I back up yeah. just a little bit because when that light bulb, like when that clicked for you. What did that look like? Because I don't think sometimes we even know when we're just in it and we're doing the stuff. What did
0: that look like? When were you like, oh, something's got to change here? When my work shifted, when I was with Franklin Covey, I'd been there for at the time I'd been there 16 years and I'm I was a top performer. I sold millions of dollars for them. My work is in best-selling business books from the client work that I did. I had voice to the CEO, voice to the world's top thought leaders. Like I was kicking it, badass. And all of a sudden, I started having this sense of discomfort about my work. Like it wasn't fun anymore and it just didn't feel rewarding. And I thought, what is wrong? I've been good at this one. Even though you're making a boatload of money. Boatloads of money. Like pull up the truck. (laughs) Beep, beep, beep. Yes. Boatloads of money. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, here we go. The company had made some shifts to where they needed to value centerline approach more than innovative approach. I'm an what inno- does that even mean? Well, I'm an innovator. I'm a builder. So if I go into gotcha. a client, I'm building a solution from them. I'm, it's like the difference between a custom builder of houses and somebody where you go in and you say, here's your pick out your countertops, your cabinets and your flooring. Like I'm a custom builder of solutions. And the company needed to move to more of the pick out your countertops, cabinets and flooring. Yeah, that ain't that's not my gig. That's no. not my gig. And in, in order to be successful, I had to move to that because that's the way the custom, the company systems and processes and rewards were moving. So to be a custom builder when everybody else was needing to do it the other way wasn't the right thing for me or the company. And so it wasn't that the company made a bad move. The company made the right move for them. But I just mm-hmm. no longer had this sense of this job lights me up. And so I chose to leave. And it was a really hard decision, but I knew if I stayed there, I would start to just burn out and shrivel and shrink. And I wasn't willing to do that. And so I made the jump so I could continue to build and use my unique gifts and talents. And it was then that I realized this is a thing like this. If I pay attention to who I am and create a career that plays off that I will always have satisfaction. And if the company that I'm working for no longer needs my gifts and talents, it's not losing to quit and go find one that does. Because I think we get into this trap of just staying because we value tenure again, which goes Mm -hmm. back to the education system, which is really broken, which, you know, you value somebody that sticks with it. Well, sometimes you should quit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, sometimes you should. Yeah, or pivot, at least. Let's go back to how you're using your unique gifts and talents.
0: And that was the story I wanted to to share to illustrate how I realized what my unique gifts and talents were, because I was feeling the discomfort of not using them. And I forced myself to sit down and say what feels wrong and just kept peeling the layers back on on myself in an optimistic way, not saying, Mm -hmm. is there something wrong with you, Rebecca, but what's, what's just doesn't feel right. Which is the other aspect of using our unique gifts and talents is it's an emotional endeavor. It's how we feel. We aren't rewarded in business or education for our feelings. In fact, people say things really dumb things like don't take it personal. Y'all that's not a thing. That is not a thing. Or, you know, I don't know why you're getting so emotional about it when you're talking about a work thing. It's like saying, don't bring your arms to the meeting. They're inconvenient. Like we bring (laughs) our emotions to everything. Everything. Like I'm emotional about the bananas rotting on my counter right now. It feels bad that I spent $4 and they're not going to get eaten. Like everything has emotion to it.
1: But you can make banana bread before
0: they go bad. How many times have we said that? I mean, really. <laughs> My entire freezer is full of brown bananas that I froze because I didn't want to throw them away for smoothies. But it, it, that emotional connection is goes back to what I said about the human needs, right? So our human needs are personal, emotional, and social. So personal means they're unique. We're unique down to our fingerprints. If you look at your hands right now, it should be a symbol to you of how different you are from everybody else in the universe. And that's by design that's not an accident we're supposed to have unique personal needs and talents and gifts and we should feel something when we use them when we help somebody by using them when others serve us like that's what it's supposed to be about is using our differences for connection to other humans that's the social aspect of it but when we come in like a drone on the just assembly line of work And just think that it's about what you can, only the things that you can measure, not what you can actually feel, we get things a little twisted. And again, I'm not against sound business practices. I'm a really good business consultant, but we cannot forget that these are humans that come into work every day, not machines. We're not machines here to produce. You get me fired up on this topic. You know that, right? I can tell. Ah! (laughs) I love it. Crazy. Crazy. So back to your thoughts about the podcast. When you ask people to be themselves on a podcast, you're putting them into this situation where they're about to put their voice literally and figuratively into the universe for other humans to respond to. That's a huge vulnerability play. That's scary. It's scary. And to say, I'm going to put my own voice out there is even scarier. You you kind of would rather, and this is what I kept doing. I kept Googling how to do a really good podcast or the right podcast. And, Uh And you kept saying to me, you need to do your podcast. And I was like, yeah, 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 I know. But I want to do it right. And I would ask you constantly like the right and wrong way to do things. Again, from our education scripting. That you always got the paperback and you look for the red marks. You didn't. You didn't pay any attention to what you got right. You wanted to know what you got wrong. Oh, totally. And so we do the same thing with this. And the best thing that I did, you gave me the advice. Is you said, Rebecca, you've got to put out a sh- first episode. Yes. <laughs> and you did, and I did, <laughs> with no equipment other than my iPhone. I didn't have a microphone. I went and got my friend Christine after dinner one night at her house. And I said, come on, we're going to go to your closet and record a podcast. And she said, I don't know how to do that. And I said, I don't either, but we're going to figure it out. Pour a glass of wine. We each got a glass of wine. We went to her walk-in closet. We sat down in her closet with my iPhone between us, hit voice recording app. That's, that's the extent of the equipment that I used on our for- first podcast. And it still gets downloads today. Isn't that
1: amazing? Isn't it amazing how that works when you just put it out there? Because I think we are so quick. And I know with every song I even attempt to write, I'm judging it. I'm editing it before it even gets out. Even before, even while I'm using the voice recorder, because that's usually where I start to get my ideas. And then, nope, delete, delete, delete. I can't even get through it. Because of all of the self-editing.
0: It's the most vulnerable thing to put what you've created out into the world for it to be judged. And and here's the other thing. We're not for everyone. No. We're not supposed to be. But it's so hard to think about somebody's not going to like it. I guarantee you there are people out there that have clicked through my podcast like, this is crazy. I'm not listening to this. There are just people that, don't, that aren't going to like us. And that's a tough pill to swallow Mm -hmm. and once you get okay with not being for everyone and wanting to really put your voice out because you know somebody needs it or it just feels good to be yourself then you're part way there but there's never a time that I don't release an episode and have that little twinge of (gasps) okay yeah here it goes yeah, I don't right. th- I don't think you ever lose. I think if you lose that sense of I hope it's okay or I hope people like it, then you're on your way to narcissism and we don't want to go there either, right? And so right. I think it's yeah. okay to have a little bit of Eeks, I hope
1: this is okay. I'm all for that. Like so often I hear people say, "Well, I don't like my voice." And now my comeback for that is Uh, guess who lip-synced through every semester of choir in college? I millie-vanillied my way all through because the very first night, you know, you have to go and sing for the choir director so he knows what group to put you in and all of that. And I finished singing and he said, do you have a cold or is that how you really sing? (gasps) No. (laughs) So for years... Because I never thought I would, I could sing anyway. I mean, I was in choir
0: be- to meet a requirement. And now you go on stage and sing and play and entertain and do yes, amazing things. Yes, but games. only because I had
1: people around me saying, you can do this, you will do this, and I'm going to help you. To this day, my friend Rita that I play with sometimes, she will still sing my harmony part because I don't naturally instinctively hear it like she does. So we pop out the phone
0: recorder. She sings it. I go home and learn it. And boom, we're done. Which is why we're human beings meant to live in community That's the social part of our human needs. We're not meant to do this all alone. And when we do try to just go hunker down and figure stuff out, that's when we start to spiral down from putting our stuff out into the universe because we, like you said, we edit before we even put it out there. And that's why your work, it was so integral to me to even get my podcast launched. Because had I been left to my own devices, I'd still be Googling how to do a good podcast two years later. You'd still have that box of gear oh. just sitting in front of you. Can we talk about that? The box of gear. Yes. So I, I am a high achiever. Like I pride myself that I'm smart and I figure stuff out and I've been successful. Like I've probably got more confidence than I deserve. (laughs) I do. And just do. And I ordered the equipment that you recommended. I was so excited. I had, I'd scheduled the whole weekend. I was going to get the equipment out, get my podcast set up. It was time. I had Googled enough. It was time to take action. So it was like the unboxing of the podcast equipment, right? So I ripped oh, this yeah. box open. I've got all day Saturday and Sunday to work on it. I'm a, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm on the floor of my office, all spread out there like it's Christmas morning with my stuff. And I start taking it all out. And so I pull out the first set of instructions from my Zoom recorder. And I read the first page. And it was written in music producer language, mm-hmm. which to me, as a non-music producer, sounds like Greek or Russian or Chinese. or, And I read it and I thought, okay, you can do this, Rebecca, like, just read it slower. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back through word for word and I was like, I don't understand. It was not intuitive to me. And so I threw all that shit back in the box, which you which you know, what happens when you unbox something and then try to put it back. Nothing fit. And it was spilling no. out over the top of the box. And I shoved it into the corner of my office and didn't make eye contact with it again for a month. Angry, angry. Uh huh. And then finally one day, I think you would touch base with me. Like, where's that? At? Where? Where? Yeah. What are you doing? And I was like, I can't do it. Just come over and help me. I, I will write you a check. Just, just help me. But that's, but that's the way it's supposed to be, right? When you get stuck mm-hmm. and you can't figure it out and you are spiraling out of control because you feel so insecure, that's when you reach out to somebody that knows something you don't because you speak the language of music production. And you very mm-hmm. kindly sat with me and said, plug this into that hole. Click. <laughs> Push this button. Click and I wrote down those human instructions that you translated from Mm -hmm. that language into my language. And that's how I got started. And then every time I did it, it got a little easier. I'd still have to message you and be like, I forgot this one step. What does this mean? And you just kept walking me through it until I knew how to do it. And look at you now. And look at me now. It is funny when I, I, when I start to do stuff and it, like something doesn't go exactly right, I kind of even know how to problem solve a few things. And I'm like, mm-hmm, look at me go. <laughs>
1: what has happened as a result of you starting the podcast? Oh, my gosh.
0: I want to talk about that in two ways. Okay. Individually, what has happened is the recognition that starting the podcast was the first thing that I had learned from scratch in 20 years. Because, wow. because everything else that I had done in my career was an iteration of something I already knew. So mm-hmm. it was just like adding on. This was the scary box of equipment that I couldn't even read huh. the instructions. And it was a really important, you know, I'm I'm 54 years old. I started this, you know, two years ago, right? And and so I yeah. think it was an important lesson for me who had grown to be accustomed to things not being all that hard anymore, because they were just an iteration to say, you can do hard things, Rebecca, and it's so much more rewarding to learn something from scratch and then feel like, I did it. Like it just lit yeah. me up. So, so that's one thing that happened is the the renewed sense of confidence and courage that I got just from the skill building of it, quite frankly. Um, the second thing that's happened is people that have been a guest on my podcast are getting amazing opportunities because they courageously came on and shared their stories because a lot of my guests, some some are authors and and successful out in the world already and and some have been the everyday woman who courageously put her voice on on the podcast and, and, and with their voice shaking sometimes. and and then for them to get, feedback and opportunities and people saying to them, I really needed to hear that. I'm so glad you shared that story. And just to see what that looks like on their face to feel like they'd made a difference in somebody else's lives. That's, that's, that's what the human experience is supposed to be that you get that sense of thriving, rewarding, I helped somebody that you don't always Mm -hmm. get from your day to day work. I mean, to the point where one um, Kelly Gordon, who is a a yacht captain, she was on just about a month ago and she had never done anything like this before. She's a yacht captain. Like, that's a story for God's sakes. Um, That is a story. That sounds awesome. Her whole story is amazing. But after that, she was invited to be on three more podcasts immediately. She had somebody from Seattle reach out and want to talk to her that needed um, her support from a minority yacht captain perspective, somebody from Italy asked her to help mentor on some things. Somebody from Chicago reached out and said, I'm getting ready to start my own fleet business. Could would you be willing to talk? I mean, that ripple effect of one Mm -hmm. 40 minute episode is just fascinating to me in the human experience. And that's what I love about podcasting is that to have that
1: impact, you don't need to have a giant audience to have the ripple effect. And I love that, that you don't need some big name guest either. All you need is a good story that's going to connect with your listeners because you know your audience so well, you know exactly what they need to hear.
0: Absolutely. And the kinds of questions that will draw some of those things out from your guest and making them feel, I think the biggest thing is making your guest feel safe Because the reason that a lot of people don't share their stories, going back to unique gifts and talents, is in order to do that, we need to get past this, what I call the sea of uncertainty, right? So anytime we're doing something we've not done before, we've not done often, our brain sends that signal of red alert, red alert, this is different, this is new, this is scary, (laughs) you might be afraid, what was happening? And it's not really fear, because it's not physical danger, it's just uncertainty, and, but our brain still sends us that signal. And so, in order to get past that, just making your guest feel like it's a safe place with the safe kinds of questions that kind of lead them down that opportunity to be open and be free and be vulnerable is, I think, the, the best episodes to listen to when you know people are just getting comfortable enough to be themselves.
1: You know, it's interesting. The people that are like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and press record. And there's no thought into what this conversation is going to look like and what you want out of it and what you want out of it for your listener and what you want. I mean, I feel like the guest needs to get something out of that, too. And... There's such a skill set of getting people to open up and really share those stories that I think until you get behind the microphone and try to start having those conversations, you really have no idea how difficult that can be.
0: Well, back to the uncertainty thing, I, I'm, a, I'm a good interviewer. I came uh, years and years ago. I worked for um, a staffing company. So I, I was a professional interviewer of, of jobs, right? So it's still a skill set that I possess that's really served me well on the podcast. And so even though I was comfortable just coming to the table and hitting record and taking Mm -hmm. the conversation where it needed to go, what I realized was that was the most uncomfortable for my guest. And so if I would instead give them a sense of here are the two or three things that I think are really important about your story that I want to make sure we cover. And I don't want you to overprepare. I just want you to know here are the two or three things that I'm going to be asking about that was a different comfort zone for them versus just show up and I'll hit record. That was too uncertain for them. Even though I was comfortable with it, I realized that they weren't. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to be an open, authentic show and not be too scripted. But I had to give them some nuggets to feel safe that they knew what they were going to be asked while, I, while they were on.
1: And friends, that is podcasting gold right there as one of those ways to make a better show is just to kind of set that expectation up front,
0: And sometimes the two or three things we thought we were gonna talk about became secondary to some of the cool stuff that showed up in the moment, but it was having the two to three bits that they they were prepared with, so they felt more comfortable to open up and share some of the deeper stuff that comes up. Now what I wanna know is where are
1: you putting creativity to work for you in 2021?
0: There's several things that I've been stewing about for 2021, and I'm going to take this holiday season and, and give myself some time to sit and pray and think and meditate on it. But, but one of the things that I'm considering doing is using the podcast to do some reflect guided reflections for my listeners, because the tagline of my show is reflection and connection for the high achieving woman, which can mean a lot of things. It means yeah. reflecting on do you know your unique gifts and talents and then using them to connect, to reflect in terms of having that time of stillness in your life and not just always being on the go. Like, There's a lot of ways that I use reflection and connection in my work. But I've been doing some sessions on personal branding and, and doing some guided reflection as part of my my facilitation work. And it's amazing to me how many really busy professionals say, oh my gosh, I haven't taken the time to think like this in so long and it felt so good. So I thought, gosh, couldn't I do that on the podcast? Like, couldn't I just have a couple of episodes at the beginning of the year where I say, hey, bring your journal or just bring your time to just let your mind wander a bit. And so I'm going to do some reflection, guided reflection where I ask some questions and then I say, Okay, just hit pause for as long as you need to, to journal about this or think about this. And then I'll hit you with another question when you're ready. And I'm excited to just see what happens with that. Because I'm not, I'm sure other people have done that. I mean, there's very little brand new stuff out in the world in general. Um, but I've never listened to one like that. And I'm just curious to see how it's going to go. So we're going we're gonna to give it a shot. Which means that I've grown past the point of needing to make sure I'm doing it quote unquote right And I'm willing to try something just because it's an idea, which feels really good and really freeing. Because you know what? It's my podcast. If it doesn't go well, I just won't do it again. Nobody dies. The consequences are very, very
1: low. I think we'll just wrap it up with that podcasting wisdom right there.
0: I'm not coming down. This is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Thanks so much for being here. We'd love to stay connected. We can do that if you jump into the online community at community. We've got lots of cool people in there already. And if you come in, it'll just be cooler. I'm not coming down. I never left it on the ground. I'm not coming down.